Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to episode 190 of Geek Town Radio. I'm your host, Dave, and I have with me Daryl. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, thanks. Good, good. It's been a little while since you were last on, so uh, what have you been up to? Oh, uh, yeah, it has, it has been a while, but I've been looking forward to this. Um, so, first off, I have been watching Lie to Me. Great which- show. Star, yeah, which stars Tim Roth. Yeah. Um, and it's available on Amazon Prime, all three seasons of it. Oh, cool. I don't know how it stopped at three. This show is amazing. Yeah. It also stars Monica Raymond, who's appeared in Chicago Fire. Ah, okay. And like Mackay Pfeiffer. Well, I think most people would instantly recognize that name. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's an interesting twist on a procedural, and it centers around Dr. Cal Lightman, who runs the Lightman Group, and he's a specialist in body language and lie detection. Yeah. So every week we see him and his uh, team take on various things. I'm up to more than halfway into season two, and yeah, it's an amazing show. I can remember it. I can remember seeing this. Uh, being advertised on Sky during yeah. when it was actually running, but obviously at the time I didn't have it, and I thought it looked interesting then. So when I saw it on Amazon, when I do my weekly scan from Amazon to make sure I'm seeing anything that might be worth watching, I decided to give it a go. And yeah, excellent show, really entertaining. Yeah, I mean it's it's funny. It appears it got about eleven million in its first season, and then it sort of dropped to seven million, and then six million for seasons two and three. I, I think it was just that drop off because you're talking uh, 2011 was when it was cancelled. So it was it yeah. was 20, 2010, 2011 January was the uh, last episode. So I mean, it's been off air for a while. But I mean, those sort of numbers you probably survive now. But <laughs> I thought it was it was really criminal that they cancelled this because it, it was such such a good show and it was interesting and different. And yeah, it was a real shame that it didn't last longer. Even for the three seasons, it's worth going to watch. Definitely. Oh yeah, definitely. We're about to see Tim Roth come back again as well because Tin Star's about to start on yeah, just started last week actually, twenty fourth of January. Ah. Oh. Uh, so he's he's back in Tin Star season two. I think season one is all on uh, on catch up. That's the uh, Tim Roth and Christina Hendricks in that sort of revenge thriller where he plays a a, a cop and uh, set in the Rocky Mountains. But that's a really really good show. That's on Sky Atlantic. I think Channel Four ran it as well. Ran season one. So um, worth going to watch Tin Star if you've not seen it. Okay. And the second thing was I went to watch Glass, which recently opened. Ah yes. How was this? Because I've heard very mixed reviews of it. I say it was good, but all the articles, well not all, but the articles that I've seen sort of criticising it all make valid points, which sort of struck me while I was watching. Right. <laughs> which was things like, why aren't you spending more time with this character? Yeah. And so on. But if you've watched the first two and you enjoyed them, I think you'll definitely enjoy this. And I think it's a good way to um, end the trilogy. Yeah, this is the the third film in M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable it's... Split. And then Glass is the, is the last one. It sort of brings all the characters together. So I don't think I saw Split. I, I definitely saw Unbreakable. I, I sort of, I might go and wait See, until this comes on home release. And that's interesting. I don't, I don't think I've seen Unbreakable. I, I definitely saw Split. 
Right. And really enjoyed it. Right, okay. I, I did want to see Split. But... I would definitely recommend I would definitely recommend Split and it, and I would say it's probably a better film than Glasses. Okay. I will go and have a look. I mean he's got a great cast. It's like Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Sarah Paulson, James McAvoy. I mean, you know, it's, it's a good cast. It should be yep. a decent movie. So oh, definitely. And it's a very interesting take on superheroes. Yes, because which... it's not a straight sort of, you know, people yeah. in cape superhero movie, is it? So... Yeah. And the last thing I've been doing is I got myself a DVD which with the Haley Dean mysteries, right? Which um is that sort of a modern murder she wrote, and right. I sort of went to it because I spend a lot. I read a lot of um those sorts of like cozy mystery books, and it's in America goes on Hallmark mysteries, right? Okay, a drama. I think they call it call yeah. the channel, and another another one they have is um, Aurora Tea Garden, which like this is an adaptation of a book, and I've read all the Aurora Tea Garden books right okay so it's hey dean and it stars an actress that you might remember from er kelly martin right okay that's where she's from and she is a former prosecutor turned therapist as things will do in Hallmark Mysteries. Someone close to her dies, disappears, and she starts investigating. Yeah, it was good. Um, it was like, I got a DVD, it had three of them, and they're about an hour and a half, like movie specials. For a lot of them, they seem to like film at least three of them a year, and they release them over like a special. The way Hallmark tends to do some of their things is these sort of ongoing series, but ongoing series of movies. It just yeah. seems sad they do it, so they're TV movies. Awesome. That's cool. So my stuff this week, Finish the Punisher, the mm-hmm. second season. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. I know there has been a little mixed reaction to it, but generally... I haven't seen any of it, so... Yeah, generally they it seems to be more positive than negative. There, there are a few issues with it. I mean, the usual sort of issues with it's three episodes too long, which is the same for pretty much all of those Marvel series. I think you could you could do them all in 10 episodes and lose how, some of the... How many is it then? Is it another it's 13. 13? It's another ah. 13. Yeah, you could cut yeah. the um, episode or well it was probably done before yeah okay. it was done before all the all the hacking of the uh, Marvel series so I mean this may be a final season of it they haven't announced one way or another yet it, there's a fairly good chance this is going to be a final season but as we said before if there is one out of those Marvel shows that could probably stand on its own without needing support from anything else in that Marvel universe it's the Punisher because yep. it is very different to the other shows I mean I found it very enjoyable Below, it's it starts off as this sort of little story of Frank who is trying to sort of live under the radar. He goes into a bar. He's getting flirty with the uh, the woman who owns the bar. Girl walks in, looks a little bit kind of nervous and shifty, so he kind of clocks her and keeps an eye on her. Then sort of leaves and comes back and spots her in there again and. A group of people walk into the bar that are clearly looking for somebody. She runs to the bathroom. He goes and rescues her. And that's where the sort of whole story begins. Okay. And they've also kind of brought back uh, Billy Russo's character as well, Jigsaw. Mm. So he's he's back in it. So you've got those sort of two plot lines running. Some of the character motivations have been kind of critical. And I, I understand where that that's coming from but generally I think it's a really well rounded put together series of The Punisher I would like to see more of it because I think John Berthnold's amazing in that role and uh, I think that would be you know it'd be well worth doing more of it but we'll have to wait and see whether Netflix decide to keep hold of one of them or not but who knows indeed who knows <laughs> yeah we have still got uh, a season of Jessica Jones to come and yep. so that's going to be probably a final season of Jessica Jones but mm-hmm. we'll wait and see for that yeah so quick question is it better or worse than the first one then i i would say on a similar level i certainly enjoyed it as much as the as the first one i think he's great in that role and i enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed the first one i think so definitely worth watching um star trek discovery is the other netflix show it's been quite a lot of netflix shows this week so uh, star trek discovery is the other netflix show that's on its second episode uh still great i like what they're doing with that anson mount i think he's superb as pike he's he's a really interesting 
different, you know, Jason Isaacs I really enjoyed. Yeah. You know, he was, again, an interesting, different captain. And you now with Pike, you've got somebody who is closer to the sort of Kirk mould, I guess. You know, he's a bit more gung-ho and he's got some great lines. There's a thing about, where's my red thing? I was promised a red thing, which I thought was was just yeah. great. Uh, when, when they're kind of chasing these slowy red things around the universe. Yeah, space phenomena. Uh, space phenomena around the universe. And he, they, they arrive there and it's not there just funny really well acted and uh yeah i'm i'm so looking forward to seeing more of it i i rather suspect he's probably only going to be around for one season because at some point he's got to go back to the enterprise but really enjoyable really really good so yeah. uh definitely um definitely I, I, I really like those two episodes so i'm looking forward to seeing more of that i think it was great also on netflix good place finale this uh season just such a solid comedy that really really good i like the fact that they change it up every season mm. and it's not in any way the sort of traditional sitcom that you would usually get if you I, I don't want to really talk about it too much because if you say anything about the good place it starts to give things away and yeah, if, very you've, true, very if true. you've not watched it it's you need to sort of watch it from from season one it's just brilliantly scripted, funny, well put together. It's silly, funny, anarchic in places, but brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And you won't find a sort of more different comedy out there at the moment. So just go watch The Good Place. It's great. And the last thing I saw this week was Green Book, which I got sent to screener for. This is the the movie which we've been hearing quite a lot about because we've interviewed inadvertently half the people involved behind the scenes because oh, they've yeah we've I, I think the costume designer, one of the hairstylists, we've interviewed people behind the cameras. Yeah, so I think we've interviewed the, maybe interviewed the composer for it as well. So there's there's a whole bunch of people, and the movie over the last sort of eighteen months, this film has kept on coming up of like, oh, I'm working on this thing called Green Book when we've asked them what they're doing next. It's essentially, it's uh, Viggo Mortensen and Mashiala Ali are the two lead characters in it. It's based around this African-American classical and jazz pianist and this Italian-American bouncer, you know, your proper kind of wise guy type set in the 1960s. And uh, Don Shirley, who is this African-American pianist, he's decided that he's going to do this tour with his trio round the deep south of America and of course deep south of America in the 1960s was still segregated so uh-huh. they sort of start off in New York and then they're basically going down into the deep south and he decides that he needs a driver they need somebody that is going to be tough enough to take on any problems that maybe come up Tony Valioga who is Viggo Mortensen's character is basically picked as that guy and appears somewhat racist when you first sort of meeting and and it's and it's this sort of the way that they end up rubbing off on each other and and this relationship between this this driver and this sort of role switch where you've got this African American guy who's been driven around by the Italian American rather than uh-huh. the other way around. And Don Shirley's well educated, knows his music, he's been to all the best schools, and Tony is your typical kind of grew up on the streets of New York wise guy, you know. So it's covers some fairly serious, interesting issues. Uh, interesting portrayal of the Deep South in the the 60s, but it's incredibly funny in places as well. There's a wonderful scene where he's eating, Tony's kind of eating, constantly eating. I mean, I I dread to think how much weight Viggo Mortensen put on on this movie, but uh, he's constantly eating, and that's one of the things. And they they head to Kentucky, and he spots a Kentucky Fried Chicken, so insists on going in because it's a Kentucky Fried Chicken in Kentucky. When are you ever going to get that chance again? So he Mm -hmm. goes in, and they have this conversation about the fact that Don has never eaten fried chicken, which is one of those stereotypes that was perpetuated about African-Americans around uh-huh. that sort of time. So uh, he's sort of taunting him and sort of saying, well, you've got to try it. This is ridiculous. You must try it. And then this is great interaction between the pair of them as Tony's trying to convince Don to eat this chicken. There's just little bits like that. It's so beautifully done. And it's just a lovely, beautiful story. It's been nominated for a whole bunch of different awards, including, I think, five Academy Award nominations it's had. I think it was nominated for Golden Globe for Best Picture as well. So it, the, there's a whole bunch of nominations for it, but it's well-deserved. It's a brilliant 
brilliant, lovely, wonderful movie and uh, definitely, definitely worth going to see if you haven't caught it yet. But uh, that's Green Book, that is. I think I think it's still on cinematic release at the moment. Uh, so, uh, But yes, worth going to see if you haven't seen it. So that's all the stuff we've been doing this week. Let's move on to some TV and film news. <laughs> So we start off the TV and film news this week with the renewals, cancellations and pickups as ever. First one, this one hurt as a cancellation. Well, it's a, it's a coming to an end rather than a cancellation, I guess. But Suits will be coming to an end with a final 10 episode ninth season. And I'm very sorry to see this show go because I adore Suits. It's hilarious mm-hmm. and so well written. I, I'm going to miss those characters. Although there is a spin-off coming called mm-hmm. Pearson, which I think we talked about last week, uh, which stars Gina Torres. So there may Maybe some shift of the characters as that moves on through its seasons. You may see more characters pop up in that. But um, they've said, I think they've they've said they're not going to directly transplant anybody over immediately. They want it to sort of stand on its own for its first season pretty much. So you may get guest spots, but you're not going to fully transplant anybody across. Have you been watching Suits? I don't know if the Suits is a show you follow. I think I watched the first like three seasons and I stopped. Any particular reason? I just found it relentlessly depressing. You always knew something was going to go horribly wrong. Right. And the first season was really snappy and funny. Mm. But what's it got to about when um, Lit gets his new female assistant? Right, yeah. Just around there, it just like the, the end games at the firm just became too much. Right, yeah. And it just seemed to be much else. You should go back to it because it does actually handle that well it's still incredibly funny and there is this sort of for for those episodes particularly the ones where Mike's still in it because last sort of you know this season is the first season that Mike hasn't been in it but Mm -hmm. there there is there is this sense of foreboding building up to the point where Mike has got to get caught at some point so there's always that hanging over it 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 is worth watching to see where that sort of goes and uh, I, I know what you mean there was a point where it got quite dark in places and I I think it gets through that and it gets sort of funnier and it's just entertaining and well written and um yeah, I, I will be very sorry to see it go. But nine seasons, I can't really complain. Nine seasons is a good run. Um, yeah, they've given it go. 10 episodes to end. So I think that's perfectly okay. And as I say, there is a Pearson show coming. There may be more spin-offs in the future from it as well, but we'll see. Um, the Magician's also been renewed for a fifth season. Yes. <laughs> even, be, even before the premiere of the fourth. Yes, which is great, great news for fans of The Magician's. I'm very happy for them. I watched the first episode of it and I, I don't know. I, I didn't kind the of get back to the first episode of the first season. Do you mean? Yes, first episode of the first season. So oh, you need, oh, you need to, you need to, you need I to know. get it there. There, there, get... there are a couple of shows that I need to. That people keep on telling me that I need to get back I, and watch. Because I can safely say that the first episode of figures is pretty much almost no indication of that season because that show is so weird. After the first season, it doesn't change up as much. But yeah, from the first few episodes, where it's really, it, I think it, it takes it easy. So it doesn't scare you away. Right, yeah. And it really gets going once you get into it. So right. I would say go back to that, at least for three or four episodes. That's one that I could do with going back to. And um, Killjoys is the other thing that people tell me I should go back and watch because I haven't oh, yeah. finished watching that. It's but, a lot of fun. Yeah, everybody tells me that's great. And it's the type of show I should really love, but I, I just, it's finding the time to fit things in. There's so much TV out there at the moment. CBS has renewed three shows. It's renewed Magnum PI, FBI, and a show called The Neighbourhood. FBI has been picked up by Sky Witness, but they haven't scheduled it yet. That's the mm-hmm. uh, new Dick Wolf show. So yeah. it's Dick Wolf's the guy behind um, everything. Pretty yeah, all, all the all those procedural cop dramas yeah, that the, run on yeah, CBS. All the major procedurals that uh, people tend to watch, yeah. and it will and it stars Missy Peregrine. Yeah, who so, I think most people know from her various shows. Yeah, Rookie Blue is probably the thing she's. Ah, yeah, definitely what people know from Rookie Blue. Um, so that that is coming to Sky Witness sometime this year. They haven't set the date for it yet. Uh, Magnum PI, of course, is is running on Sky One at the moment on Wednesday nights. We talked about this a bit last week, but Magnum PI is basically Hawaii Five O with a slightly different cast. Uh, it's pretty much exactly. I mean, they even trade characters. A lot of the minor characters from Hawaii Five O show up in Magnum PI. So, oh, really? Yeah, it's it, it's it's that same universe. It's the same universe as Ice MacGyver, NCL, yeah, SLA. Yeah. It's, it's it's all part of that same little bubble. But, I mean, Magnum is the most closely related to it. It's it's almost a spin-off series without them having to having a 
put them directly together. But, you know, they use the same medical examiner because it's set on the same island, so why wouldn't you? Uh, okay. They've they've had people like the guy that runs the shrimp truck um, yeah, yeah. In, in Hawaii Five-0. He's shown up in it. They've used some other of the minor characters that have, have popped up as well. So there is a certain amount of, of crossover with just in the general episodes with those characters. And I think there will probably be a point where they do a proper crossover where they it ends up with Magnum meeting the 5-0 task force because they have referenced the 5-0 task force. So uh, that will come at some point. But, Interesting. Uh, but yes, it is very much in that vein of a Y five O. I am quite enjoying it. I think it's a really entertaining cast. There's some good banter between some of the guys. So uh, yeah, I, that. But that's been renewed. I, I don't think that's a great shock that that's been renewed because it's propping up that Hawaii five O thing. So. Um, the Neighbourhood is a sort of race relation comedy about a guy who is a good-natured professional conflict negotiator played by Max Greenfield from New Girl. And they move into Michigan with their new son and there's sort of a very different kind of new neighbourhood. And Cedric the Entertainer plays their sort of African-American neighbour and mm. there's there's a sort of cultural conflict thing going on. But uh, that's a comedy. It hasn't got a UK broadcaster yet, but they've picked that up for another season so that may help it get picked up over here but at the moment we don't know so they've been picked up Riviera the uh, drama on from Sky Atlantic they've announced a very advanced air date for that that's coming back on the 23rd of May for its second season we've got air dates for the DC shows uh, Flash is back on the 28th of February Supergirl coming back on the 4th of March, Arrow on the 5th of March, Legends on the 10th of April, because Legends is back in April in the US, so there is a quite a big gap. They, For whatever reason, they decided to run Legends later. So um, that's when they're all returning. There's lots of people commenting, oh, why is it such a big wait? The reason that there is a gap of, because they all came back in January in the US, the reason that that gap is there is because most of these network shows have have four or five more spaces and more breaks before the end yeah. of their run. So exactly. Sky have got two options. Either they run it directly a week behind the US, but that means every loads few weeks... Of, loads of weird breaks. Yeah, loads so of weird breaks. people crazy. Yeah, so, well, they, they, it has two problems. One, it's a scheduling issue for them because they've got to find something to fill in the slot when it's not on the US. Yeah. So there's that. And there's also the amount of abuse they get for, why is this show not on this league? Well, we're running it close to the US, so it's skipped a week and we have to skip a week. Yeah. So there's there's that problem. So they tend to leave it and that means that it, the earliest it could really come back is the middle of February, but then they're also running other shows at the same time. So they've got to wait for them to finish their so late February is about as early as you can kind of get it, really. That's just the way it is. It's not really Sky's fault. It's really the fault of the American broadcaster and they're sort of put on one week, taking off the next scheduling. That's, that's what causes it. So yeah, that's when they're back. Over on Amazon, they've announced that the third season of The Expanse will arrive on the 8th of February, Friday the 8th of February, with seasons one and two. So if you've not seen any of The Expanse, all three of them will be on there. Season four is coming later this year, but they've not announced exactly when yet. But it means that we can finally get to see season three, because as we all know from last year, The Expanse got rescued by Amazon after Sci-Fi in the US dropped it. So that yep. means in the UK, it moves from Netflix to Amazon and Amazon lost Lucifer, which is now moving to Netflix. So there was a sort of trade-off there, but yeah. uh, I'm very much looking forward to watching the rest of that because that is a great, great series if you haven't seen it. Yeah, great show, great show. So uh, third season of that, 8th of February and seasons one and two will land at the same time if you've not seen it. They've also announced the 11th of March premiere for American Gods season two as well. That's going to be the first episode and then the other episodes will be coming on weekly after that i think that's because it's a star series so i'm assuming it's going weekly out there over there i'm quite looking forward to this i i said at the time i thought season one ended in a very very weird place because it, it it ended with a reveal that we all knew about who mr wednesday was uh, and it's yeah, like well we, we kind of all knew that because not only had it been fairly obvious it was also in most of the publicity stuff so this sort of supposedly this big reveal that wasn't really a big reveal so it felt a bit of a kind of huh, okay that's where you're going to end it 
But yes, I am looking forward to it coming back. It's taken a little while to get back on screen due to the fact that they've been having showrunner problems, but uh, glad it's actually finally back. And also on Amazon Prime, all nine seasons in fully HD remastered Y-format glory, all nine seasons of Baywatch. (laughs) Should you wish to go and watch it. Um, Indeed. They've not only remastered it all in HD, it's all kind of pristine. They've also replaced a bunch of the music, apparently. So they've updated a bunch of the music with more modern things. Wow, okay. uh, They've they've done a whole sort of repackaging deal with it. But uh, yeah, all nine seasons of Baywatch, should you want to go watch that if you like. Moving on to bigger news, CW has ordered four new pilots. So these are pilots, they may, they're potential new shows, they may not make it to series, although it is the CW and they tend to pick up most things generally. There's a few things that slip through, but they're pretty good at picking stuff up. The four new series are, one's a Riverdale spin-off, although they're, I don't know. It's an Archie Comics spin-off. I'm not sure yeah, whether it's it not, is. Yeah, it's not Riverdale spin-off. It's an Archie Comics spin-off. Yeah, they're describing it as a Riverdale spin-off, but it isn't. It's an Archie Comics spin-off. Uh, it's titled Katie Keene. It's a musical dramedy centred on the lives and loves of four iconic Archie characters, including fashion legend-to-be Katie Keene. They chase their 20-something dreams in New York City. Story chronicles the origins and struggles of four aspiring artists trying to make it on Broadway, on the runway, and in the recording studio. So it gives them a chance to kind of show off ridiculous fashion things and and also singing and dancing and all that stuff yeah i mean that that sounds like a perfect fit for the cw i think you know uh it's another belanti series it's coming from the same people that are behind riverdale robert and gary sacasta and michael grassi who are the uh, co-exact producers and creators of, of riverdale so it's that people behind it it's belanti that is the exact producer as well so we'll see i mean the the last time that they tried a, a sort of another archie comic show was chilling adventures of sabrina and they ended up losing it to netflix so yeah we'll see what happens with this uh the other one is a spin-off from jane the virgin called jane the novella it's from the same creator it's from from genie snyder herman um it's a telenovela anthology series based on the quote written by jane the character from jane the virgin with the author acting as the narrator so it's basically tv movies of her novellas it's the idea <laughs> which is intriguing i guess first story is is set in a napa valley vineyard where family secrets and family members don't stay buried for long so that's the premise i never really watched jane the virgin so Maybe i don't five, know so yeah uh, that's well outside of me same people behind it same creator i can imagine that if you're a fan of jane the virgin you're probably going to like this so but we'll see how that goes next one is an adaptation of the lost boys movie comes from well there's, there was an adaptation that directly came from Veronica Mars creator Rob Thomas which has been floating around since 2016. Rob Thomas himself is now tied up doing this new version, this sort of continuation Yeah, Veronica Mars continuation Yeah, so he's doing that for Hulu so there's that Veronica Mars thing coming Uh, So writer Heather Mitchell who's worked on Grey's Anatomy and Scandal she took a pass at a new script for it and that's the thing that's led to the pilot order. Rob Thomas is still staying staying on I think as his get produced of it. For those of you who don't know, Lost Boys is a cult classic, what, 80s movie? Late 80s movie? Yeah. Story set in Santa Clarita, California, a town with a beautiful boardwalk, all the cotton candy you can eat, and a secret underworld of vampires. After a sudden death of their father, two brothers move to Santa Clarita with their mother, who hopes to start a, a new life in the town where she grew up. But the brothers find themselves drawn deeper and deeper into a seductive world of Santa Clarita's eternally beautiful and youthful undead. I mean, this is firmly, firmly, firmly aimed at that Vampire Diaries audience, I'm fairly sure. That seems to be where they're going for. What's that I smell? I love Triangle. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how they approach this because I love The Lost Boys. The Lost Boys was one of my favourite films because, you know, I grew up in the 80s. It's That's my jam. That That's very much my sort of movie. I love that film. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland played one of the sort of lead and Jason Patrick were the two leads in that 
it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this and whether they do go very much down the sort of you know love triangle vampire diaries route or whether it becomes something different but i am very interested to see where where that goes and the fourth one is an adaptation of nancy drew the classic american books um comes from josh schwartz and stephanie savage who are names you've probably heard as bandy about a few times because they're the people behind gossip girl and runaways set in the summer after a high school graduation 18 year old nancy drew thought she'd be leaving her hometown for college but when a family tragedy holds her back another year she finds herself embroiled in a ghostly murder investigation and along the way uncovers secrets that run deeper than she ever imagined I have to say I'm not hugely interested in this particularly. Swartz and Savage are going to be exec producing. Noga Landu, who is one of the writers from The Magicians, is going to be writing the script though so that sounds that sounds about my alley yeah nice little, nice little mystery i'll be in with that i'm sure it'd be fine i mean i never saw gossip girl i do like runaways though i think runaways is a good show um yeah, now, now they're actually running away and not <laughs> not milling around like they were in the first season but uh yeah I've, i've been enjoying the second season of it definitely and uh could be interesting but again All four of these shows are pilots. They might not make it to series. They might not get picked up. They joined the Batwoman pilot, which we know is coming. They announced some casting for that this week, which I haven't actually put in the notes, but uh, they've they've confirmed that uh, they're going to have Batwing in the uh, show which I'm very excited about because that's having another sort of Batman adjacent character in that show the the Batwoman pilot is coming again there's no guarantee that will get picked up although I think there's a very 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 good chance that it will Um, Mm -hmm. now we've got these four others so we'll we'll see what comes out of that but uh, looks kind of interesting I think there's a good selection of CW shows there very much CW shows moving on we have some news this is about a, uh, a film version of The Sopranos that is in development at the moment and they've finally found somebody to play the young Tony Soprano and it's going to be Michael Gandolfini who is son of the actor James Gandolfini who played Tony Soprano in the TV series which I thought was an interesting bit of casting yeah I mean they they apparently did a an open or you know wide audition for it but they basically said that he just came in and completely nailed it because Let's face it, if anybody can do an imitation of James Gandolfini doing Tony Soprano, it really should be Michael Gandolfini, his son, who has very much looks quite similar to a young James Gandolfini and has a lot of his mannerisms, apparently. So, yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, he's a, he's been an actor in his own right. He, his breakout role was playing uh, Joey Dwyer in HBO drama The Deuce, so he sort of was known to HBO anyway. The film comes from the Sopranos creator David Chase it's called The Many Saints of Newark follows the story of uh, Dickie Monsaldini who is played by Alessandro Nivola who has been in Wizard of Lies and American Hustle who is father of Christopher who which was Michael Imperioli's character from the the main soprano show he was also a mentor to the young tony soprano so although it follows dickie tony's kind of quite a key role in it obviously as well the movie is set around 1967 newark riots which were caused by the beating of an african-american guy by the police this was a time when the african-american and italian communities in newark were at each other's throats and the they were breaking out in lethal violence amongst the gangs so it's an interesting sort of period to set it in i think you've got this sort of background of the riots going on and this tension between these two groups we know a little bit about dickie's character from things that have been said in soprano but i don't but he he died quite early on so we don't know exactly what happened so i think it's an interesting area for them to explore in movie form of the Sopranos history. Was Sopranos ever a show you watched? Yeah, I was, yeah, as a big fan, I did watch quite a lot of it. This, obviously, this is very different. I understand why they're pushing it so hard as Sopranos, 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 getting that branding in there. But obviously, this seems to be a very different thing. Yeah, I mean, the the rest of the cast is great as well. Um, Vera Farmiga, who mm-hmm. was in Bates Motel. John Berthnall, who, of course, was Punisher, we were talking about earlier. Billy Magnuson, who was in uh, Maniac and Get 
Stuart Shorty, Corey Stoll, who uh, was the lead guy in The Strain and was in House of Cards. Their roles haven't yet been announced, but that's the cast that have come up. So there's a great, great cast in there. Uh, script comes from David Chase, who is the man behind The Sopranos, and writer Loris Connor, who also wrote a number of episodes of Sopranos and Boardwalk Empire and uh, wrote the script for The Planet of the Apes as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that looks really good. Uh, the director is going to be Alan Taylor, who re- did a number of episodes of the original Soprano series, also did a lot of episodes of Game of Thrones and directed Thor the Dark World as well. Solid people behind the camera, solid people in front of the camera. I think this could be really, really quite special when it comes out. But uh, Many Saints of Newark, that they, that film is called. Don't know whether it's going to just be a TV release for HBO or whether it's going to be a cinematic release. I'm not sure yet, but we'll see. And lastly, Netflix are developing a Resident Evil TV series, apparently. The TV series based on the Resident Evil horror survival franchise the people behind the TV show are Constantine Films, who are the same people who developed the game franchise into the movie series starring Mila Jovich. It's going to keep the same basic premise, but expand the Resident Evil universe and deepen the existing mythology by exploring the darker inner workings of the Umbrella Corporation and the New World Order caused by the T-Virus outbreak. They're saying it's going to show, uh, going to feature Resident Evil signature elements with a lot of action action sequences of course easter eggs for fans and stuff uh you know so i mean a, a lot of this whether you're excited about this we're going to be derived about one whether you like the resident evil franchise and two what you thought of the movies i guess because mm-hmm. it's the same people behind the movie franchise so i think i've seen the first film i don't think i've seen any of really? the like four others that followed it so. i've seen every single one good so this is one that you're probably going to be looking forward to, I guess. Oh, yeah, I would definitely be interested in watching it. Yeah. Um, obviously, Resident Evil, much like the games, in terms of lore, so that, it's pretty crazy. I just found when they said they'd be keeping a basic premise, there isn't a basic premise. <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil is all over the place. The basic premise yeah. is the fact that they're zombies. That's about as basic as <laughs> everything else is up to thing. Zombies, virus, evil corporation. That seems to be about it, really. Um, I mean, the movies have been the, the most profitable game to film franchise ever made apparently 1.2 billion they've made worldwide so uh, first movie came out in 2002 last movie came out in 2016 the video game franchise itself is still going uh, yes. last new game landed last year which was Resident Evil 7 Biohazard they've just released a remake a sort of remix remake updated HD version of Resident Evil 2 there have yeah. actually been 24 in total sequels remakes and spin-offs in in terms of the Resident Evil games so I mean it's a hugely hugely popular franchise I have to say I don't really play many of the Resident Evil games I don't really do horror games very much either so you know it's, it's not something that I followed dramatically but I, I don't know I remember quite liking the first movie and it had some spectacular bits of it so yeah the first movie is really really good it seems like a no-brainer to me for a TV series it makes perfect sense again this will come back to whether you like the film adaptations or not because it's the same people it's Constantine film who made the films behind it we'll have to wait and see see exactly what direction they go in but i mean netflix is the perfect place for it so we'll wait and see what happens with that no premiere date or any of that sort of stuff it's just in development so it could be a year away it could be two years away we don't know we'll have to wait and see so that's all the news we've got for this week next we have some interviews hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week we have not one, but two interviews for you. Uh, Both are with composers who have got films at Sundance at the moment. Sundance is running all this week and uh, was on over the weekend. So both their films have had 
premieres now, although they hadn't when we did the interviews. The first guy we're talking to is Roger Swin. Roger is probably best known for scoring Justin Chon's 2017 Sundance Award-winning film, Gook. Roger's now reunited with Chon for the emotional Asian-American family drama, Miss Purple, which premiered to some very positive reviews over the weekend. Miss Purple follows the story of a young girl in Koreatown in LA. She finds herself dealing with her bedridden father after his carer decides to quit. So she ends up seeking help from her estranged brother and the siblings are forced to reconnect and reconcile the suppressed trauma that led to their separation. So we talk obviously about um, Miss Purple and um, working with Justin again. When he's not working on his own projects such as this, Roger has uh, another job which is doing additional film composing for other composers. This has led to his work being featured in uh, Del Toro's four-time Oscar-winning film The Shape of Water. He's also worked on Daredevil for Netflix and The Defenders. He's had additional music in films such as X-Men, Maze Runners. There's a whole bunch of things that he's worked on. So we talk a little bit about working on those as well. Here's the interview with Roger Swin. We will see you afterwards for the next interview. It's lovely to have you on yeah. to uh, chat through some of your work. And you're on your way to Sundance pretty soon. Yeah, I'm going to head out there um, Friday just in time for our premiere, which is um, this Friday night. By the time this goes out, you will have, have had your premiere. So good luck with the film. Is it is it in competition for anything as well? Yeah, I think it's in the competition category. Okay, um, So cool. yeah, I'm looking, looking forward to it. Um, it's always, you know, very exciting and, and slightly like nerve-wracking especially like sitting in the room with an audience for the first time yeah you're always like oh no i hope they don't hate it (laughs) um but yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah have you seen the whole thing kind of all done all the way through with everything in and and finished already or will this be your first time um pretty much uh, i saw a playback with everyone like um you know a day before they printed it so i'm sure they they tweaked a couple little things but for the most part i saw it and um i thought it worked really great and just kind of what justin and i wanted i think good good so uh, the film you're at Sundance with is called Miss Purple. It's with Justin Chon, who you've worked with before on a film called Gook, which was uh, Sundance a couple of years ago. So that's obviously how you got together with him again for this movie. How did you come to meet Justin in the first place and start working with him? Uh, you know, like like so many things in this business, it was totally by chance, um, just like a mutual acquaintance yeah. um, connected us. And, um, you know, Justin was, I think it was like in November of uh, 2016, and the deadline, you know, for submissions is like beginning of January. So it was just, you know, perfect timing, everything, you know, just barely enough time to do the score. Yeah, yeah. so that's good. So you've come on to this new film, which I mean, they're they're very different sort of premises because Goot was about sort of race relations during the LA riots. And this one is seems like a far more personal, closer story in some ways, because it's about a, a girl dealing with a sick father and a strange family and that sort of stuff. Are there any musical similarities between the two? Is it is it completely different? Yeah, so the, the similarities, and a lot of people have noticed that like in, in our music, our scores, they tend to be very eclectic within the movie. There's just a range of styles, especially for Gook. Gook was like, if you listen to the score, it would have sounded just like someone's mixtape. Um, <laughs> it, it made no sense apart from when it's not with the movie. So it's very similar in that way, but it, it is very different. Yeah, like, like you said, like it's it's a much more intimate movie, um, which is funny saying that because when you see Gook, you would think that, oh, that's like, it's a small indie film. It's dealing with personal relationships, but this Miss Purple is even, you know, smaller and the topics it, it talks about are a lot more yeah. just normal, you know, family dynamics, essentially. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really cool. And, and what's amazing with Justin is how he takes these really everyday kind of parents getting older, that kind of thing, um, sibling fights and that kind of thing. And it just makes it very powerful, which is, I don't know how he does it, but um, that, that's that's why he he's the one making films. Yeah, that's why he's the director and you're the composer. <laughs> exactly. What's your process when starting on a on a project like that? I mean, um, how involved in, is Justin in the process? Are you sort of dealing with temp music and and then switching stuff out, or where do you start? You know, with Gook, like I said, I came on kind of just in the nick of time, so it, we just kind of went for it. Um, there wasn't a lot of prep work, but with uh, Miss 
purple was the opposite. He sent me the script before they even started shooting. Uh, so I was writing music for him before they even started shooting. So I was really involved. I even went on set one day. Right. Um, and so it was a lot of back and forth. And I think the stuff that I was sending Justin kind of informed his shooting and vice versa. Right. Uh, so he was very involved. Um, I was even involved with like suggesting temp for when they're cutting the film. So yeah, it was, it was one of the first projects where I kind of felt like I was, you know, wore more of the filmmaker hat. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was really cool. And, and um, it was really, really nice change Pace. Yeah, it's interesting getting quite that involved in the in the process because you don't often get to do that, I guess, as a composer. Yeah, there was even one piece I think I wrote. I just started a couple piano sketches, and one of the sketches I didn't even know. Apparently, he had it on his phone, and he would he would be like listening to it on his way to to shoot every day. <laughs> um, and I think as a result, now we have we have a string quartet version of that piano piece in the film. And he kind of had a scene with that specifically in mind. And I didn't even know until he told me afterwards. Wow. So that was kind of, um, it was it was pretty flattering, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Obviously, this is a this is an indie film. Was it Kickstarter funded, this? I think, yeah, primarily Kickstarter. Um, and then other sources, I, I don't really know. Right, okay. They're, they're not necessarily the biggest you know, budget films with when you're dealing with little indie films. So you mentioned sort of using... A, a string quartet there was that a live string quartet or or are you dealing with samples and stuff to put that stuff together everything you hear in the score that is supposed to be live is live cool. um so yeah so we have a string quartet we have um, a couple guitar pieces we have uh, we even have a jazz combo for one cue nice and yeah we we kind of you know no expenses withheld on you know the, the full thing uh, we recorded at um henson's which is a studio here in la that you, you might know they did the um the we are the world thing back in the 80s was right, recorded. Yeah, yeah. a lot of classic albums were there um really beautiful beautiful place and yeah so with films like this you know it's it's definitely like a passion project it's not something i really make money on yeah all the all the money goes towards the production and yeah you know you, you do what you gotta do i i, I gotta work a, a day job as a as a ghostwriter supplying additional music for other yeah. um, veteran composers but um yeah we we love it it sounds really like it's going to be interesting i hope it does really well for you at uh, at sundance you mentioned the um ghostwriting stuff there which is I mean, you say ghostwriting, but there are, there are some pretty major projects you've worked on. Uh, I mean, Daredevil, Defenders, uh, Shape of Water you did work on, the X-Men movies. And so, I mean, that's, that's a pretty nice set of things to, to be able to put on a resume, I guess. When you're working on those sort of ghostwriter things, how much freedom do you have? Are you, are you ghostwriting off somebody else's cues or are they sort of giving you, I want, to, I want something to sound a bit like this and they just let you go with it? it you know, it kind of varies with composer to composer. Um, um, you know, how hands-on they are or how much freedom I get. In the case of um, Daredevil, you know, I've had the, the um, privilege of working with um, John Paisano for a while now. And, you know, by the time we've done like this last Daredevil season, I definitely know what he likes and we kind of have a bit of a rapport. So he, he kind of lets me just run run free and you know only every now and then he'll kind of have to dial me back in but again that's because we we kind of know each other at this point and know what the show needs yeah uh, and other projects like with um john with john ottman yeah uh, there's a lot of composers named john <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah with john ottman you know especially certain like with the x-men movies he's a little bit more hands-on um which is also really cool because john ottman as an editor as you know film editor mm. so he, a lot of the notes he gives me are kind of more from a filmmaker perspective and as a result I, I get to learn a lot um, outside of kind of the composer world so that's that's super cool yeah I mean I guess stuff like that ends up feeding back into your own composing workers as well because you're you're dealing with people that are are sort of further down the road than maybe you are at the moment and and are these big sort of very experienced guys and good to be able to pick up stuff and learn from what they're doing I guess yeah a hundred percent I really love the fact that I have the opportunity to, to um, help write for these guys because um, I kind of see it as that old model of an apprentice mm. system, you know, and I mean, even going back as far as, you know, like Mozart, you know, taking a couple lessons from Haydn, like, you know, that kind of scenario. And I think 
writing music is especially true and you really need someone to take you under their wing for some there's only so much you can learn by reading books and studying scores yeah, yeah. so how did you get into composing in the first place oh well it's kind of a funny story um i played music since i was a little kid and i actually went to undergrad as a music major performance major but i actually dropped out <laughs> and i switched my degree over to mechanical engineering because that you know it was more practical and, and yeah and, not. But I just didn't like it. And then I just came back and I kind of had discovered film music along the way. I'm like, oh, why don't I give that a shot, you know, and, you know, did the composition thing and and slowly just worked my way to today. Yeah. Did you ever find the mechanical engineering stuff coming handy at any point? <laughs> <laughs> um you know, not not in a direct way, of course. Um, you know, it definitely helps with all the technical parts yeah. of my job, all the computer stuff. You know, I did I did a loads of uh, computer programming yeah. in my study. But I think a problem solving approach from an engineering standpoint is very systematic. Yeah. So I actually apply that to my writing process. You know, I'm just very methodical about it. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not one of those people that's just like, just throw a bunch of stuff and just see what happens. You know, I'm definitely think everything out. Yeah. Um, quite a bit. I'm probably a little slower, though, as a result. <laughs> what do you tend to start on? What what instruments do you play and what what's the sort of starting point for you? So I grew up playing trombone. That was actually my main instrument. Oh, right. Uh, so I, I probably have a tendency to like favor brass writing when I'm doing orchestral stuff, but um, definitely piano. Uh, piano is probably now my main instrument. I hardly ever play the trombone. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I always start with the piano and whenever the project is more of like a musical kind of score. I always try to start with the piano and pencil paper as much as time allows. I I start there. Yeah, I I feel like if if you can get it sounding right on the piano, then it should translate to everything else. You know, granted, some scores that are more like sound designing or electronic, that doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, I like to just stare at the piano. Do you have any odd instruments and what's the weirdest thing you've used in a composition? You know, I don't, I don't have anything that's that out there. I know what you're talking about. Um, I think, you know, back when I kind of first started out, I was a little bit more into like sound designing stuff. So I would record odd things like, you know, I'd flip my bike upside down and, and do kind of weird things or record things off the bike or, yeah. or you know, weird thing. I would re- I disassembled a printer once and, and <laughs> made, it, made it do all kinds of weird things, got some cool sounds out of that. Um, but these days, you know, I haven't really, um, there's so much good stuff that's already done for you. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. In the interest, you know, you're so short on time. I tend to just kind of go for that. But I would love to have a project where we needed more of that stuff. Definitely Miss Purple was not one. Yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So last couple of questions. First one is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? So actually right now, you know, I don't have cable and I actually <laughs> you know, dropped my Netflix account because um, wow. I trying i'm trying not to um watch any shows believe it or not because i've i just got a load of work and um i i tend to fall into these rabbit holes with tv shows <laughs> um, but the last one i did watch actually was on amazon is the marvelous miss Maisel. oh i yeah. love that show yeah i just finished season two and um it's fantastic like yeah. the production the music everything on that show is just awesome and then another funny thing i've actually been watching on youtube not really a tv show is this little skit that they do it's called um, Adam Ruins Everything. I don't know if, if you I'm aware that. of it. Yes. Yeah. 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 If you're one of those people that likes to be like, well, you know, actually, yeah. <laughs> if you're one of those people at like a party, then this show's for you. Yes. Um, very good. Yeah. And if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present or future, which show would it be? Oh, man. Um, more shows like Daredevil, I, I would die for. I mean, you, you probably heard they, they actually... Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Hopefully it'll pop somewhere, but they're slowly cancelling all the Netflix Marvel shows. I know, I mean, I'm watching Punisher at the moment, and I think there's a fair chance that that probably won't make it to another season, given what happened to the others. But it's oh. brilliant. And uh, we've got one season of Jessica Jones left, which I also love. So uh, we'll have to see. And I would hopefully they'll they'll pop up the Daredevil shows will pop up somewhere else but who knows hopefully, hopefully. I, I think those those netflix shows are, are just amazing um and yeah i would love to work on something like that that's got the 
this awesome blend of like action, adventure, and like character and story. Mm. Um, I would love to work on stuff like that. Cool. Well, good luck with the movie at Sundance with Miss Purple at Sundance. Hope that all goes really well for you. And hopefully we'll talk again soon. Great chatting, David. Thanks yep. for the call. Great and, talking. Uh, we'll- all right, speak soon. Cheers. Bye. 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 So that was the interview with Roger Schwinn. That's the movie is called Miss Purple, if you uh, want to go and seek that out. The next interview we have is with Piers Burbrook de Vere. Piers is an Australian composer who most recently scored the zombie comedy Little Monsters from award-winning director Abe Forsyth. That also premiered at Sundance over the weekend to some very positive reviews. It's got a great cast. It's got Lupita Nyong'o, who you'll know from films like Black Panther, Josh Gad, who uh, is a brilliant stage musical person, but was also the voice of Olaf in uh, Frozen as well. And Alex England, who has been in films such as Alien Covenant, he's been in Gods of Egypt, and a whole bunch of other things as well, and TV shows and stuff. So those are the three main cast members. Uh, Not only does the film have zombies and comedy, there's a lot of music in it, which is not only played on screen, but shown on screen as well. So this includes things like having Lupita playing the ukulele and Alex playing the guitar, with the minor issue that Alex couldn't actually play the guitar when they started working on the film so we talk a little bit to Piers about how they managed to get around that and what they did to deal with that sorry about the sound quality on the recording on this it ended up being a phone interview because as I mentioned he's Australian uh, he's in America though staying in a hotel because he was about to head off to Sundance and you know what hotel Wi-Fi is like so the Skype was not playing ball at all so uh, the sound quality is not quite as good on this one but you can still hear him, hear him perfectly well the interview is about 10 minutes long we will see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on tv it's lovely to have you on you're about to head off to sundance uh, by the time this goes out the film will have premiered but you're all ready you're all set to go is this your first time as well or is this have you been a few times with with movies this is my first trip to sundance and, oh, cool. um, yeah, yeah. And so obviously, you know, re- really excited to, to go and, and check it out and be there. Particularly excited to actually spend some time with people that we that, that made the film. You know, we spent so much time together in the trenches, actually, you know, putting the film together. And you know, one of the most pleasures of this job is getting to work with really, really fun, passionate, creative people. But all of our interactions are, are generally under extreme pressure. Yeah, um, trying to deliver and create this thing together. So getting to go to a film festival and actually hang out, you know, see some movies together and and spend some time with all those people is is what I'm sort of most most looking forward to. Yeah, that that should be really good. I mean, you've done a number of movies with the the director of of Little Monsters uh, before, so this one's a horror comedy. How do you go about approaching the music for something like that? Because it's an interesting mix of trying to get the balance right, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we go about it with a certain degree of trepidation. Um, <laughs> we really sort of have to keep an open mind in the early stages. And Abe and I, as a director, work very, very closely together to try to establish the tone of the film. It is a zombie film and there are moments that are terrifying, but in fact, it's, it's a very sweet Film. You know, it's a very heartfelt story, and so the you know, the centre of it needed to that somehow. Um, the score needed to kind of be able to deliver something at the heart of, of the story, something sweet and very innocent. Yeah, so there was a lot of trial and error. <laughs> there often is, <laughs> and uh, I'm really glad we ended up where we did. But it's certainly not what I expected that we were going to be writing the first couple of weeks. Which that's for sure. Yeah, it was quite a journey. You actually ended up co-writing with a Forsyth as well didn't you so there's songs in in the movie you're actually writing the stuff together which is interesting that's right yeah so Abe Abe and I are credited as co-writers for all the songs and that's been the case for his last film as well right Um, and I mean Abe tends to use music quite heavily in his character's backstory um, which is always a lot of fun and then what tends to happen is that that starts to make its way through into the into the story on screen and, and before you know it you've got characters singing 
so uh, yeah, so he'll write lyrics and sort of send them over, and then I'll start to try and you know come up with musical styles based on how he describes the characters to me. Right. Um, one of the most enjoyable parts of the process has been actually working with the actors because they're they're so fearless; it's in their DNA, and they're so enthusiastic that you can kind of throw them these challenges, and they'll just you know they'll just launch themselves at it with no hesitation. We yeah. had um, Alexander England's character, the protagonist of the film, Dave. He plays this sort of washed up, angsty musician who writes these emotionally stunted kind of stadium rock slash death metal songs trying to express his childhood issues that he hasn't <laughs> got over as an adult still. And um, poor Alex, you know, he'd never played a guitar before. I don't know if he'd ever even held a guitar. Right. And... Um, I only actually found that out a few weeks before, you know, he was he was sort of scheduled to, to shoot this scene. So we got together a few times in the studio and and um, basically just figured out how we were going to manage him performing the song on the guitar and singing it in a believable way. And and I wrote the song around what he could actually do on the guitar. So I found a tuning that sounded like it would work and then wrote the whole thing with just one or two fingers. Right, So I could show it to him and we kind of came up with this notation using colors so that he could remember... Which frets to be on, and he, and and you know he did such a fantastic job. Like it's, it's one of my favourite scenes in the film. But you know you'd never get a musician into a room playing an instrument they'd never played before and tell them go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's pretty amazing. That's fantastic. Definitely. I mean, that sounds like my way of learning how to play guitar. That as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got the cast is great as well because, as well as Alexander England, you've got uh, Lupita Nyongu, who people will know from Black Panther and uh, played Maz in Star Wars, uh, and the brilliant Josh Gad, yeah. who everybody will know as Olaf from uh, Frozen, I think is probably the thing that people will know from. Uh, both amazing actors. You also taught Lupita how to play the ukulele, apparently. Well, I, I didn't personally teach her how to play, right. how to play but she did have, yeah, yeah, they did bring on a tutor. Again, you know, she just took on that challenge and um, a beautiful job. She's sort of holding a ukulele for most of the film. Right, right. <laughs> she plays a, you know, uh, she's not playing it the entire time, but but she, she plays a kindergarten teacher <laughs> who is essentially guiding and protecting a, her class through this horrendous apocalyptic scenario that they find themselves in. And um, a lot of the time she's distracting the children with, you know, through song. And um, yeah, it's beautiful. She does it. She did a wonderful job. And then, of course, yeah, as you say, Josh Gad, who also obviously never done any music before, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Book uh, of Mormon. We have, yeah, we have the other end of the spectrum with Josh. Um, yeah. You know, so talented. Uh, such an amazing performer. That was really, really exciting getting to work with him. And, um, you know, for me, that that was such a highlight. And it was also kind of a bit a bit daunting. We had the session with Josh, you know, it was wonderful. And he and he did brought the whole thing to life and such a wonderful job. But during the session, A, had a had a sort of moment of inspiration, had this idea that we should do another version of the song that we were recording with Josh to use later in the film, but with an entirely different tone. So he basically wanted to take the lyrics that we were recording and turn them into this like down tempo, very moody, lamenting kind of swing piano jazz piece to use later, you know, <laughs> later on in the film. So, you know, Josh just launched straight into improvising these a cappella vocal versions of the lyrics and they were, you know, fabulous. Like we were all bitches. It was, it was really terrific. But I absolutely realized that I had to take these vocals and quickly write a song around them. Um, <laughs> it's almost like this reverse songwriting challenge, this bizarre kind of backward writing process. And just in case that wasn't sort of like a high pressure enough scenario, I, my, my writing room... At at the time was adjacent to the scoring stage. So I took these recordings back to my room and I could actually see them setting up the mics for the band to come in and record this song the next morning before <laughs> we'd actually written the thing, you know? <laughs> just, wow. Like, yeah, it was pretty amazing. But uh, again, you know, somehow it all worked out and that's another real highlight for me. Like, I think it just turned out really beautifully. It's, you know, it's one of my favorite cues. 
<laughs> yeah. For something that's billed as a horror comedy, there seems to be an awful lot of music in this. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, you know, I'm, I, I probably, uh, probably get in trouble for calling it a Zom rom-com, but, but personally, I think that's what it is. Zom rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> I do, yes. Well, uh, I, yeah, you know, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it because it, it sounds fabulous and very, very much up my street, this sort of thing. So, so excited for people to see it. <laughs> Well, I hope it goes down really well when you get out to Sundance because uh, I would l- very much like to see it at some point. So, uh, good luck with it. I hope it all goes great. Thank you. I'll give you my last couple of questions. Right. What TV shows are you watching at the moment, firstly? Last TV show that I've been watching was the new season. I guess it's not that new anymore, but the new season of Twin Peaks, um, oh, yeah. which I've been pretty obsessed with. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see David Lynch's festival last time I was actually in LA a couple nice. of years ago. Yeah. Um, that was really cool. He had quite a few performers come on and he screened all of his shorts, many of which I'd never seen before. He also screened all of his commercials, which oh, was wow. hilarious. Yeah, uh, a, that's amazing. A little amazing. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. It's <laughs> totally trippy, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've I've been thoroughly thoroughly enjoying it. And Angelo Badalamenti, you know those themes are so timeless from the original series. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's such a nostalgic, awesome uh, thing to kind of see that stuff alive again. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, I, th- that sounds like it. It must have been a great night. It was. It was, it was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present or future, which show would it be? Oh, gosh, that's a really, really hard question. I probably would say the same answer that I just gave you. Just because Two things. Um, I'm racking my brain to think of, you know, something more interesting to say. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, look, I'm just going to have to give it to Big again. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's all right. It's a good choice. It's a good choice. <laughs> awesome <laughs> well I'll let you get back to it good luck with uh, Sony Dads hope the film goes really well for you I, I, like I say I'm very interested in seeing it it sounds fabulous so uh, hopefully I'll, I'll be able to see it soon brilliant thanks so much cheers bye bye so that was the interview with Pierce hope you enjoyed that one his film's called Little Monsters Roger Swim film is called Miss Purple if you want to go and look either of those up Google that and Sundance and you should find them next up we have some highlights for next week on TV highlights for next week on tv it's actually having had millions of shows come back the last few weeks we've actually got a fairly short list this week starting off on the 30th of january on universal tv law and order special victims unit returns for part two of season 20 that is is back for all you law and order fans yay that's at 9pm on the 30th of January. Then over on Sky Atlantic on the 31st of January at 10pm, we have Camping, which is the US remake of, of a UK series. Although the US remake also happens to star David Tennant, who is British. But anyway, it's uh, David Tennant and Jennifer Gardner. It's a series about a group of people that go camping, basically, and people that they meet. That's the basic premise of it. If mm. you're a fan of David Tennant, you're probably going to want to go and see this. I, I'm kind of interested. I, I like Jennifer Gardner. I like David Tennant, so it might be worth watching. Young Sheldon, back for the second half of the second season. That's on 31st of January at 8.30. That, of course, is the Big Bang Theory spinoff. Big Bang, I think, is going to be back in a few weeks. They haven't given a set date for it yet but it's due fairly fairly soon night flyers which is this series we've been talking about this for a while it's based on a george rr R. martin novella uh set in the future on the eve of earth destruction a team of scientists and a telepath take a journey aboard the night flyer the most advanced ship in the galaxy to intercept a mysterious alien spacecraft that might hold their key to the survival uh first of february that arrives on netflix I think this is a sort of horror elements to it as well, certain horror elements to it as well. Yeah, so it is, sort of, yeah, it is a horror. Yeah, space horror mashup thing. Um, could be kind of interesting. I will give that a go. As I say, I don't hugely do horror, but we'll, I'll give it a try. And uh, then we've got uh, Russian Doll coming on the 1st of February as well. This, I think we talked about last week or the week before, follows a young woman named Nadia, played by Natasha Lyon from Orange is the New Black, on her journey as the guest of honour, a 
at a seemingly inescapable party one night in New York. So it's a kind of Groundhog Day-esque premise where she goes through to a certain point in the night and everything resets and she's stuck back in this party again. The trailer for it looked brilliant. It looked very funny. Natasha Lyon is hilarious and uh, I love her in Origins of the New Black, so I'm quite interested to see her in this. It looks really good, but it's called Russian Doll. Season one of that, 1st of February, worth the go and watching out for that one. That's all we have for this week in terms of uh, new shows. But uh, there is more, there is a lot more coming in February. It's just this week seems to be a fairly quiet week. So uh, anything else from you? No, that's all from me. If you want to talk Law and Order SVU or anything like that, (laughs) you can find me on Twitter at Shaftsworth, which is S-H-A-F-T-S-W-O-R-D. I write for Hollywood News Source, and you should definitely keep an eye on Hollywood News Source, um, the site and its social media over the next 24 hours, as we're going to be launching a competition with not one, not two, but three prizes. Ooh. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, go and check that out, Hollywood News Source. And uh, for us, over the next week or so, if you want to find all the latest air dates and news and stuff, go to geektown.co.uk. If you want to get in touch with your questions and comments, email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk. Leave a message on the website post. Find us at Geektown on Twitter, on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash geektown, and on Instagram at geektownuk. That is everything. We shall see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.